Well, that was emotional. On the biggest weekend of drama with Pool and Villa since Sexy Beast, Totally Football Show is checking on Kiev, the Champions League final. Did Liverpool fall off the back of their lorries? Should he really be catching so much flack? And will it be the first thing he's caught all week? Plus, Ramos jeers, Moe's World Cup fears, and the best goal in years from the chat with big ears. Then, cottage cheers as Fulham return to the Premier League in the Championship playoff final. Aside from Riverside walks, sumo suits, and an incandescent derby with Chelsea, what will they bring to the Premier League? There's more playoff news, your questions, and so much more in this Totally Football Show. On today's Bank Holiday Special Totally Football Show, it's a big welcome to Michael Cox. Hello, James. Zonal Marking.net. Ian McIntosh out of the Muddy Knees. Massive. Hello. And, of course, James Horncastle. Hello. Good weekend, James? Yeah, it was. Drama, uh, wasn't there? Oh, there was plenty of that, James. <sighs> Crikey. Just in my household, because I was looking after a, a Siberian Samoyed. It's a, uh, it's it's a, a dog. It's a white furballed dog. Yeah. yeah who yeah. did not take kindly to the thunderstorms and ended up sleeping in my shower. Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> Elsewhere, there was drama too. Tears, perhaps, from Terry? Certainly, there was some crying in Ukraine from uh, Laurie's Carriers. And let's begin with the incredible Champions League final. Sasha Gurionov. Sasha, welcome home. Hello, James. Hello. Hello. How was your trip? It was absolutely wonderful, but as always with these trips, the football kind of can bring it down a little bit. Right. What was it like there in the stadium? The stadium, I thought uh, the atmosphere and the build-up and that whole day was, was quite special because I think Liverpool fans have great belief that, gonna, that the team is going to do it. And uh, they came into the stadium on this wonderful wave of optimism, which sort of then transferred into sort of bopping and singing along to Dua Lipa, which was thoroughly unexpected. And that sort of positive atmosphere, I think, carried into the first half an hour until Salah got injured. Right. When you say uh, the weekend was ruined by the football, I presume you're referring to the British press team losing 7-2 <laughs> to the Ukraine press team with you in goal. Yeah, I mean, I was only in goal for the first half, so just responsible for just the three goals out of seven. But yeah, not, not the best performance. I think uh, in the best traditions of a British touring match, I think we stayed up the night before a little bit too late. Back to the other game that took place in Kiev. And as you say, Liverpool fans went in buoyed with optimism, a great wave of enthusiasm. How did they leave the stadium? Uh, I think it was a mixture of shell shock and just a huge weight on everyone's shoulders. I think everyone was just absolutely exhausted with the emotion of it all. And also just astounded by the two mistakes that Karius made. Just unbelievable. Um, but at the same time, it was very sweet after the final whistle because, I mean, it would have been understandable if everyone just sort of kind of trooped out like zombies after, after such an outcome. But I, I'd say probably 80 to 85% of Liverpool fans actually stayed behind to wait for the team to get the runners-ups medals and, uh, you know, to wave the last goodbyes and thanks, which I thought was very, very sweet. And I think this is some part of the special relationship which I think Klopp established between the, the players and the fans, which we saw some with that city. We saw those great celebrations away in Rome. But, you know, at the same time, you know, the fans stayed with the team in the defeat as well, uh, which I think, I think in terms of atmosphere around the club, it, it, it is going in the right direction. Right. The game was a defeat, but the campaign as a whole has been a resounding victory for Liverpool. On the subject of Carrius, I'm not sure what the reaction was when the whistle blew after the 90, but after a day or so to think about it, can he ever be Liverpool's first choice keeper again? I think psychologically um, it's going to be quite tough. And we have seen Liverpool goalkeepers collapse before. If you recall, in 2002, Jezze Dudek had a run of about three, four atrocious games, including, I think, letting it through his legs against Diego Forlan. And he was really never the same goalkeeper after that. So I, I think it would be difficult... For him in the dressing room as well, because, you know, you know, no matter how polite and nice people will try to be and supportive, he let everyone down. All of his teammates, who probably stood a reasonably good chance of doing something in this final, of getting it, uh, that winner's medal, he, he, his two mistakes came at really, really, really bad times. And the thing is, against Real Madrid, he can't even make the minor mistakes, never mind two howlers like this. So I think, he, I think it, might, it might be very difficult for him uh, to restore the faith of his teammates. Sasha, we're going to do our chat about Ramos and all that very shortly, but just as an expert on jiu-jitsu yourself, what do you make of Sergio's technique? Pretty good, no? What I found was really impressive. It wasn't just a sly elbow. It was just the way he then just sort of fell forwards and away from, the, from it all. Yeah. And whilst the ball was about 10 yards away, it was, I think it was 
It was remarkable. Brown belt stuff. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was and, that, <laughs> and all at the same time, making it look as though it was purely accidental. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, I think maybe even going for black belt there. Your wife would have been happy with that one, Sachet. Yeah, definitely. James, what a game. It was like the Empire Strikes Back. You had a baddie, you had heroes, you had the, the dark side triumphing, you had comedy, you had tragedy, you had tears. I thought it was more Red Wedding. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. In terms of uh, with, with what Sergio Ramos. Uh, I would say more Sergio Ramos. than Red Wedding, I yeah. would think. Yeah. <laughs> I think Ramos uh, is, a, is definitely a Lannister, though. He wouldn't have been there at the Red Wedding. Right. Um, having the uh, phrase do his bidding. But yeah, certainly taking out. Salah, who up until that point, what, Liverpool had a nine shots in the first 31 minutes. How many did they have afterwards? To the end of the first half, zilch. Michael, the goals, I like to say that it was from the ridiculous to the sublime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I know you do too. Uh, but which, how will history remember this game? Do you think it's the Carriers final or the Bale final? Sadly, I think probably the Carriers final, which is a great shame because that Bale goal was truly spectacular and it would have been great had that been the winner. I mean, the funny thing about the second Carriers there, it probably didn't affect the scoreline or didn't affect who won the game. So it's a shame that the uh, the goal was slightly overshadowed and maybe even slightly overshadowed, certainly in the aftermath, by the fact both Ronaldo and Bale kind of announced, come and get me, please, and, and kind of cast doubt over their future, which seems to just kind of summarise this Real Madrid team. It's all about individuals and individual glory. And there's a moment at the end where, where Bale probably should have uh, squared for Ronaldo, but kind of tried to get his hat-trick. And Ronaldo looks absolutely furious. Not as furious as when the pitch invader basically stopped him from scoring as well. But that's kind of what Real Madrid are all about. It's all about individuals. I still don't really see any kind of identity of this team. And yet they've won three in a row and we're going to have to uh, consider them in future years as one of the great Champions League sides, which I'm just not convinced they are, but three in a row speaks volumes. The Carriers final, Ian, or the Bale final? I tell you what. Let's relive it, shall we, and draw our conclusions after. So if everybody wiggles their fingers and goes all wobbly, let's rewind to Saturday night in Kiev. So, Ian, the game begins and Liverpool are mightily on top. Yeah, they're outstanding. Everything they could have hoped for um, as, as the game started. The typical Liverpool kind of running at them. There was a, a Trent Alexander-Arnold chance, um, who I thought was fantastic throughout the game, as was Andy Robertson. Um, but it, it brought such a roar from the crowd that you thought, I mean, they, they were just, it was like the early rounds of a boxing match. They're just landing blo- body blow after body blow. Mm. And then it all goes horribly wrong. And then it all goes wrong when there's this coming together between Ramos and Salah. Salah stayed down here after the challenge by Sergio Ramos. The Real Madrid captain landed awkwardly on the Egyptian. Just there, it's not on his left shoulder. There, Ben. A bit nasty, didn't it? Yeah. It's a massive concern, this, for Liverpool. Did he mean it, Michael? Ramos, I, I mean, I think he's trying to leave one on Salah, as they say. I'm not sure he's deliberately trying to injure him. But he's, he's trying to make his presence felt. It is a remarkable hold that he does on him, though. And I know slow-mo can be deceptive, but it really does look like he plants the foot to trip, grabs the wrist, maintains control of the body, and using the elbow just basically forces him to the ground. Paul Scholes, I was watching it with, and he went, yeah, he definitely meant that. OK, well, <laughs> Scholes was a master of the dark arts, I always yeah. thought, and got away with it for a long time, so I'll take his word for it. And he didn't stop there, did he? He did carry us? Well, I thought that was actually more... Blatant, really? really. And and that would definitely be a red card, wouldn't it? I mean, he, yeah. ru- he runs into him with his elbow into his head. I'm not seeing near the ball. Yeah. I'm not seeing a... He does get a push from, I think, Van Dyke, And I'm not seeing a replay that really clarifies whether he just knocks into him or actually throws an elbow. And I know that Carius reacts as if he has received a blow. Have you seen anything that really makes it clear? No. <clears> there's, <throat> no. no there's no kind of close-range replays. But we're kind of having to give Ramos the benefit of the doubt for two things here, which kind of, it starts to add up, doesn't it? What about the head injury that he suffered when Mane uh, waved an, an extremity near him? He got Quadrado sent off in the Champions League final last year, didn't mm. he? For, for nothing, really. And, and when the game was already won as well. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It was Rivaldo-esque, wasn't it? Anyway, so the stuffing a little bit knocked out of Liverpool by that. But they're just trying to, and they make it through to half-time goalless. But then Ian. He got the option to Marcelo. Oh! And then Carriers. So it's gone in. Oh no. Oh my word. Carrying Benzema with a goal. And Liverpool can't believe it. What a way to go behind in the Champions League final. It's round the Right. I don't know why he did it. 
He did have no reason to do it. There's, he could you... have just taken a breath and waited, and instead he froze it. And fair play to Benzema, he's, as one former pundit would say, he's in the wide awake club because he reacts to that. It doesn't just bounce off his leg. Mm. He, he sees it coming and he reacts and he, he scores. He sticks a leg out, doesn't well, he? Yeah. Do you remember what Mourinho said about him? That uh, you know, Oh, the, uh, the pussycat and the go hunting with a pussycat. Yeah, he right. would like to hunt with a dog, but when you haven't got a dog and you've got a cat, you have to hunt with a cat. That was a very cat-like mm. goal, I think. Very sharp. All of a sudden, you don't know where the cat is and it jumps on your lap. And that's what happened to Karius. Poor guy. It was also the type of goal, and other people have pointed this out, but it was also the type of goal you could score readily in FIFA 94, <laughs> um, where you could kind of just stand in the way of the goalkeeper and as soon as he kicks it, just press tackle and there's a decent chance it would go in. It was one of the tricks in that version of FIFA. The other one was just running away from the referee could, could, when he you, wanted to card you. Yeah, you could dive in that him. version of FIFA as well, couldn't you? you uh, could, yeah, maybe a little bit later. Yeah, yeah I think uh, that's actually the worst mistake of the two because that's a conscious yeah. decision he's taken. The, the other one, it's horrible. It shouldn't happen at that level, but it can happen. It's, it's well, a, Klopp also said there's not one without the other. That the, the reason yeah. he, he It's a horrific misjudgment. Yeah. But the first one is a conscious wrong decision. The curious thing was, though, that if the Salah injury had really weakened Liverpool's confidence, this goal almost seemed to double their resolve, that they, they swept back up forward. It wasn't long before they, they'd equalised through Mane. Manny, their best player, James? I think, yeah, with, uh, with Robertson and, and right. Arnold. Um, because, I mean, he had to switch flanks once, uh, once, once Salah came off and he was really their, their only threat because, um, aside from that set piece, they didn't really offer, offer much. Um, and it, it really did kind of uh, lay bare um, the truth about this Liverpool side is that when that front three is not intact, it's not the same team. I think they had to score early, didn't they, Liverpool? Mm. I know the Salah injury kind of massively exaggerated how much they dropped off, but we have seen that pattern from Liverpool. They have a really fast start, like against City, for example, and then later in the game they're kind of hanging on, and that's kind of how it played out, albeit partly because of the injury and albeit with the goals from kind of completely freak sources. I mean, two goalkeeping mistakes, one wonder goal and one set piece. The goals almost happened outside the kind of tactical battle and the rhythm of the game. It was a peculiar game, really. I, I didn't think the overall game was particularly interesting. Really? It was just all about, not really. There was intrigue and there was tension, there was incidents, but I didn't think either side played well. I don't think the tactical battle was that Did you not think Luka Modric played well, for example? I think he played as well as he always does, but right. I, I didn't think it was a standout performance. I mean, who got man of the match? Gareth Bale, I Bale, I guess, yeah. yeah. But... Well, and why? Because, well, principally because of this. Casemiro. <laughs> Casemiro para Marcelo. Marcelo enfrenta a Alexander Arnold. Cuidado con ese envío. Golazo. Golazo. Inmenso. Espectacular gol de Garbail. Gol. Del Real Madrid. Espectacular. Apareció el expreso de Cardiff. Inmenso. Para señalar el camino a la consagración de la UEFA Champions League. So have some of that, Liverpool. You just pulled it back to 1-1 without your best player and then Real Madrid go to their bench and pull that out. I was, I was watching this with my parents and said some very, very rude words because that's the only reaction you can have to a goal like that. It's just to sit there and go, F*** me over and over again and then right. suddenly realised that actually it was my, my mum and dad on the Some other impact. sofa. Some impact, 122 yeah. seconds after coming on. And Incredible. again, um, and again, we saw when, uh, when Salah went off, the only player that really, that uh, Klopp could go to is Lallana and then the difference on the bench with Madrid is like, I'll just put on a £105 million <laughs> player in mm. Gareth Bale. And uh, yeah, some statement made by by Bale in, in, in that not only in that goal but that performance but just to go back Mandzukic's goal last, in the final last year was was pretty damn special too as a bicycle kick probably because oh, yeah. it combined both individual brilliance and a team goal in that it never, it never yeah. hit the floor before it reached him yeah um, so gets that, forgotten that doesn't it it does because they lost tell you what let's go back and get another angle on this one <laughs> Arcelo Would 
What do you think, Michael? Is that the greatest Champions League final goal of all time? Or are you going to go Mandzukic or Big Z? I think I'd just about go for Zidane. It was really? just such a pure finish, but I can't really separate them. I mean, Bale's goal was almost a, a hybrid of that Zidane goal and the Ronaldo basketball kick against Juventus, which was incredible. Mm. Yeah, it was brilliant. I, like Ian says, you're just completely lost for words. It's just a shame that there was the last goalkeeping error because it would have been great if that was literally the winner so do you see that as very much the fruit of his earlier error carries his second uh, blooper oh there's a shot oh he shots it it's Gareth Bale again and it's a howler from Carrius. the thing with Carrius is he's never been particularly convincing has he and people will now talk about how Liverpool try and replace him but they've been sniffing around Alisson from Roma for the last three or four months so mm. I you know obviously didn't expect this calibre of mistake but I remember when Liverpool beat Arsenal 4-0 in the third or fourth weekend of the season. And they absolutely thrashed Arsenal. But Karras was really dodgy. He was their worst player despite keeping a clean sheet because he kept on making mistakes when he wasn't even under pressure. And that's kind of what happened for the first mistake. You know, that wasn't a forced error. He wasn't having to do anything. He just brought it on himself. And uh, I think regardless of this game, he was going to get replaced as the number one. Maybe he'll, he'll leave Liverpool, but... I've never been convinced by him as a, a top-level goalkeeper. This is, this is quite a defeat for Jurgen Klopp as well, after he'd invested so much trust in him. Yeah, definitely, and, and he'd, he'd chosen between the two. I mean, I don't think either of them are, are really good enough for this level, but I, I think Mignolet's a better goalkeeper than, than Karius, and I found it confusing that he was... Uh, you know, that Klopp stuck by him, because even when he wasn't conceding goals, he just always looked nervous, he looked dodgy, he didn't save shots convincingly. There was just always signs that... He wasn't quite top level. Really. Right. I mean, on that point about both of them in Gazetta's player ratings, they said that Klopp could have put Mignolet and Karras together and still had only half a goalkeeper. Wow, that's harsh. <laughs> that's harsh. <laughs> and then peep, peep, the final whistle. And, oh. and, and I think to answer our earlier question, the, the emblematic image really is Karras there. All alone. All alone and it then the Real Madrid. It shouldn't have fallen to Real Madrid players to go and be the first over. Someone should have been over there for him. Michael says, not you, Michael, but uh, Michael at Sisif USA. When was the last time you all felt as sorry for an individual player as you did for Carrius on Saturday, brackets, assuming you did? I mean, I felt sorry for him, but at the end of the day, he's a 24-year-old who's just played in a Champions League final. He's, he's, he's actually, you know, on balance, doing pretty well. <laughs> you, I mean, you, you know, just... in career terms, he's not a failure. Yeah, I mean... But know, he did it, mess up his biggest occasion. He could be working at the Asda. Yeah. Um, so you know it's a positive in a sense but I just hope there's there are people around him now because making a mistake like that 20 years ago 30 years ago it might be different but now it's I mean, it's everywhere those clips are absolutely everywhere that is all he's ever going to be known for now is screwing up a European Cup final and had he done that in I don't know January or March even there'd be a game in which he could try and come back and redeem himself he's yeah. got nothing until he's got a whole summer well possibly longer who knows? Oof, Who knows? Yeah. He can't even do what Beckham did in '98. You know, Beckham yeah, after that Beckham World Cup, he, he, he went to New York and hid away because no one recognised him. But everyone in America's watching football now, so he can't even go there. Right. I mean, there's the Southgate route, isn't it, where you just own it and you do like an advert to and... a pizza yeah. advert. Exactly, <laughs> brilliant. It's, it's so odd to think that there's a time in the not too distant past that Beckham wasn't recognised yeah. in America, and that Beckham wanted to go somewhere where he wouldn't be recognised. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, loads of questions. I think loads of questions still to be answered. Shall we have a quick bit of music and then we'll do some of that? Listeners, our partnership with Paddy Power helps to keep this podcast free. And speaking of free, when you join Paddy's Rewards Club, every time you place five bets of £10 or more on any sport in a single week, Paddy will give you a free £10 bet the following week. Sign up now at paddypower.com. T's and C's apply. Max £10 bonus per person per week. Specific odds required. Exclude shops and cashed out bets. 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. TalkSport International's Alvaro Romeo now joins us on the line. Alvaro, what's the reaction been in the Spanish capital this Saturday night? Well, this, there has been a mixed reaction. Uh, number one, obviously, there has been a lot of praise for uh, Real Madrid winning a third consecutive Champions League. But there has been also an astonishment about uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's and Gareth Bale's rants, let's put it that way, after the game. Uh, both of them were hinting that their future could be far away from Real Madrid. And uh, obviously, there has been plenty of critics about the timing to say this uh, from Cristiano Ronaldo and Gareth Bale. Mm. Bale perhaps more understandably because he had been on the bench 
Uh, Ronaldo, as Perez was pointing out, we've heard this from him pretty much every summer and it never comes to anything. Is it different this time? Mm, it's difficult to say. I think that uh, obviously Gareth Bale wants to play more, uh, whereas Cristiano Ronaldo wants to make more money. That's the main, the main difference uh, between the, the two cases. Um, it also happened last year that Cristiano Ronaldo leaked some uh, uh, information to Abola saying that he wasn't happy at Real Madrid and then he stayed after the summer. Um, but the thing is that Cristiano has a plethora of uh, problems in Spain. He's got a problem with the Spanish tax man. It's uh, still to be decided uh, if he's going to plead guilty uh, for what they are accusing him of and therefore he will be avoiding prison or not. Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't want to plead himself guilty. Um, then uh, he wants to make as much money as Neymar or Messi. Let's not forget that Cristiano Ronaldo is the current Ballon d'Or winner, uh, but at the same time he's making the half of what Neymar or Messi make. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Cristiano Ronaldo saying this after the Champions League final uh, is a way of sending a message to Real Madrid president, improve my contract. Right. Otherwise, where, where could he go? Well, there are not that many clubs that can afford Cristiano Ronaldo. Obviously, the two clubs of Manchester, uh, but I find it quite unlikely that he will play for Pep Guardiola or Jose Mourinho uh, because he, he didn't end up in good terms with Mourinho back in Real Madrid. And there is obviously the, the obvious case of uh, PSG. Uh, they can afford a player like Cristiano Ronaldo. And it's no secret that uh, Neymar has been a long-time dream for Real Madrid president. Okay, what about Gareth Bale? Do you see him at the Bernabeu next season? I think that uh, he is more likely to stay if he talks to Zinedine Zidane, but I think that he... He won't do that directly. Uh, in fact, on Saturday, he said that his agent and him will have to sit down and talk about his future. And I was thinking, why, why don't you sit down with the Real Madrid manager and talk about what you want and talk about how much you want to play? And uh, perhaps talking man-to-man with the Real Madrid manager is going to help you to understand your situation. I think that is... Uh, Unlikely that Gareth Bale stays at Real Madrid uh, for the basic reason uh, of the fact that he hasn't played a lot this year. In fact, uh, he hasn't played any single important game apart from El Clásico back in uh, the beginning of May, which makes me think that Gareth Bale, being 29 years old, he doesn't want to spend another year in the sidelines just watching how Asensio or Lucas Vázquez play instead of him. Alvaro Romeo, a couple of points on that. One, I remember Martin Amis uh-huh. in, in London Fields describing someone as having a haircut like an onion bargee. And I always thought he was exaggerating until I saw <laughs> Ronaldo on Saturday night. <laughs> he seems to have gone back to the haircut that he had when he turned up at Man United. He's that kind of confident that he can go back to the kind of right. teenage look that he had. Yeah. Relive the highlights in a, in a very real sense. Exactly. Yeah. But just to put that uh, his wages in perspective, mm. it's one thing earning, say, half what Messi does right. and less than Neymar. Mm. It's another thing to find out that you're earning less than Ezekiel Lebetsi and Oscar as well, you know, I think. Right. He's China, you think? Do you think he'd go to China? Uh, I'm not sure, but I mean, that's, that's certainly one way he could uh, increase his pay package. But, um, you know, I think it's, <laughs> it was a bit of a surprise, a bit of a surprise to me. To see, um, to see him behind Oscar and Flore- and Loret- Lovetsi. Right, he, he famously okay. wanted to increase his package on his statue a few years ago as well. Well, yeah, yeah nicely done though. Like, all, right. all right, well, let's, let's just draw one or two last conclusions then on this Champions League final. Would Liverpool have won it if Salah had stayed on the field? No, I don't think they would have. I mean, it's it's impossible to say for sure, but I really think they needed to score in that early twenty-minute spell. Mm. I think once they didn't, Real Madrid were always going to dominate and. The lack of quality from the bench compared to Real subs means that Real were going to win out the yeah. doors. Real would still have had Bale and Liverpool would still have had Carrius. Fair enough. Madrid, Ian, undisputed capital of football. Atletico Madrid, Europa League winners, Real Champions League winners. And indeed Spain, I mean, the rest of us are just kind of joking <laughs> around, aren't we? It's incredible. The last, what is it now, the last five yeah. seasons... Both trophies, both Europa League and Champions League, gone to Spanish clubs with one exception, that being Man United in the Europa League last season. That's just remarkable. So we talk got... about Italy in the 90s, but this is another level. Mm. I mean, Madrid derby in the European Super Cup, yeah. which will be held in Tallinn. Will it? Yeah, in August. Yeah. Zidane, Ian. Zizi makes it look easy. He certainly does. Um, but it's a kind of... 
I think it's a like a different level of management. I always go back to Rafa Benitez when he was at Real Madrid. No one could accuse Rafa Benitez of being bad at football management. Um, but I think the, the difference was he was going to Ronaldo and trying to tell him how to take free kicks, which was a good thing to do given how many Ronaldo missed in the yes. European Championships. He was right to do that. But Ronaldo openly laughed at him and the Real Madrid players openly mocked him. I can't remember the demeaning nickname they gave Benitez, but it, it wasn't particularly nice and it referred to his lack of uh, playing experience. Whereas Zidane's got no managerial experience really when he comes in but he has a respect of the players he knows what makes them tick he knows what it's like to be a great footballer mm. and you know you, you can have arguments about whether Sean Dyche would do a good job at Real Madrid or whether Zidane would do a good job at Turf Moor and they're all entirely relevant it's a completely different um, set of challenges and Zidane appears though, to be very very good it at made me want to see Ramos at Burnley now <laughs> yeah. pretty that's, epic that's the thing about Real Madrid historically the manager's never been overwhelmingly important the same way as it is at Barcelona the power is always with the president with the players right and the, the ideal manager for Real is always someone like Zidane Ancelotti Del Bosque mm. kind of like calm statesman like figures who basically just let the players express themselves and don't try and interfere too much mm. yeah. as Sid Lowe points out though Zidane has never not won the Champions League. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, more. He's won more than Guardiola, than Mourinho, Sir Alex, yeah. Ferguson. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bale, it's too good to be sat on that bench. You know, the problem he's going to find is that uh, I mean, certainly according to Paul Joyce in the Times today, the problem with Zidane goes back to Zidane telling Bale that he's got defensive responsibilities that he's not sticking to and if Bale wants a move he's not going to find many clubs that will give him the sort of freedom he he wants you know you talk about going to Manchester United I don't think Mourinho is going to give him that kind of free role same with Guardiola same with you know Jurgen Klopp to an extent it's with the size of his wages and the the kind of cavalier role that he wants there won't be many places out there for him really I think if if he wants to have that kind of, I'm not doing any defensive work, I'm just going up front, which is entirely reasonable given his skill set and his yeah. profile. But when he, his last season at Spurs, was he was he not in, enjoying a similar free ranging role? Well, Spurs do have some kind of buyback clause, I believe. Do they? Oh, really? Well, some, they some, could get Modric back as country. well, or a team they'd have. Get the old band back together. Get yeah. Harry in the dugout. Yeah. Oh, there. <laughs> Choluca. Choluca. <laughs> <laughs> Someone had to ruin it. <laughs> Modric with a, a similarly magnificent second half. Once, once you know things had swung in in Real's favour but I guess the other question we should ask before we move on is Mo Salah the World Cup starts in a little bit over two weeks Mm. is he going to be there? Well there's some optimism that he will be there as someone who's dislocated my shoulder I believe um, he hasn't actually dislocated it have they not said it's a strain on the ligaments? Well even so it's it's a very uncomfortable Injury to have, and you know when it, it, this is a contact sport where, as someone who dribbles as fast as it, you will be knocked over, and that's yeah. not not a particularly uh, good place to be in. But apparently, there are already a hundred thousand signatures to a petition asking FIFA and UEFA to take retrospective action against Sergio Ramos. Is that a, a, a prospect at all? I suspect not. No. Andy Robertson, who's fast filling the Tony Hibbert-shaped void in my life, is my favourite footballer, said that anything like that is clutching at straws, and I think that's kind of the way people should be should be it, looking it was wrong though wasn't it Ian well I yeah, know that people he is Ramos and Ramos will Ramos got to take it on the chin and come back better right Craig Anderson where does this Real Madrid team stand amongst the pantheon of great club sides of all time Michael well I don't think they're up there personally they're up there in terms of achievements but in terms of the way they've done things I don't think they've been particularly convincing throughout this run probably last year they were the best team in Europe but this year and, and two seasons ago, I think they got quite fortunate. Even that first final against Atletico in 2014, mm. I thought they were outplayed in the final. So, I mean, in 20 years, people will look back and say, why on earth are we not considering this Real Madrid team I think we will better be. than Guardiola's Barcelona? But oh, they're not, better than that. Mm. But they're not better than Guardiola's Barcelona. Well, that's the thing. You look at Rinus Michels' Ajax, Saki's Milan, Guardiola's Barcelona. They all left the mark on the game in that they changed the game to some extent. Whereas with this Real Madrid side, you can't argue with what they've achieved and how they keep coming back and winning, but have they changed the game in some way? Um, only insofar as they make it about, again, being very... They reduce it down to being the best man wins, survival of the fittest kind of thing, where it is if you have the best individuals, you win, and that's it. But I suppose the interesting thing is they have kind of wrestled control back from Barcelona of being the kind of past masters. You know, they do have Cruz and Modric, who are wonderful in possession, whereas Barcelona have lost Iniesta, they've got Paulinho in the midfield. It's, mm. it's a little bit more boxing defensive now. Fair enough. Stephen Pipes says, as any current manager, head coach, lost six, or any manager ever, I'd add, lost six major finals in a row like Klopp. 
Probably not, but he's always punched above his weight to get to the finals and always lost to teams who had more resources than them. So I'm not convinced this is a particular failing or weakness with Klopp, although six in a row is obviously pretty poor. But there's always this like strange tendency to treat like losing finals as though you've gone out in the group stages or something. He's reached seven finals, which is... Yeah, it shows that he keeps getting there. He keeps putting yeah. teams in positions to win trophies. Like, it's, I always find like some of the reaction afterwards is like, um, you know, what do Liverpool need to do to improve? What has gone wrong here? It's like they're a good team. They've reached the final. Yeah. yeah, it, the, yeah if you were a Martian sent down to, to to planet Earth and were reading some of the reaction, you would you your takeaway would often be like, this Liverpool side is such a bad side. How did they get there? It's absolutely rubbish. Yeah, yeah. I mean Liverpool are about tenth favourite for what the kind Champions of research League. Research mission is this Martian on again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Did you get any details of their weapon capacities? <laughs> no, but I have got some football. Sergio Ramos. <laughs> Threat number one. Okay, and here's a final question. David at Thug Cyclist uh, wants to know the last team to beat Real Madrid in a European final. Do you know who that is? No. Like Gothenburg, is it? No. Ian? Mm. Oh, oh, it wasn't Aberdeen. Was it, it was Aberdeen, Ian <laughs> in 1983. Wow. Ah. Sir Alex's. Yeah. yeah. There you go. And that was the Champions League final. After this, we'll turn our attention to another absolutely huge game on Saturday and an even bigger one financially. Is that right, Ian McIntosh? Mm-hmm. The Championship Playoff Final. Boom. Listeners, starting up the Totally Football Show was a hairy business. Fortunately, Cornerstone have been with us every step of the way. Why? Because they're in the business of making hairy things smooth, like your face. Cornerstone's award-winning blades will give you the smoothest shave possible and their range of balms, creams and exfoliators are all environmentally friendly, alcohol-free and suitable for the most sensitive skin. Head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally to see the range for yourself, get £10 off your first order and have it delivered right to your door and you'll find out why tens of thousands of men have switched over to Cornerstone. Hey listeners, as you know we are on a bank holiday Monday alone inside Jazz FM. They've left us the keys, and you've just stumbled across what, James? So, this is the perks of working in Jazz FM. Is it a D'Angelo live? What, read script? They're, okay. ha- they're going to have him in? Or is this just for you to read to say he's got an amazing tour? Right. Bristol, Manchester, Brixton, and Hammersmith. Oh, right then, D'Angelo fans. It's advertising. D'Angelo. You know. Just so glad to see him back. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's how yeah. I'm going to get Well, after they, you know, he got asphyxiated in the prison library. Oh, not Andy Angelo. <laughs> Angelo. No, not from the oh, wire. Right. That's a shame. Him, poop. <laughs> Game done changed. Yeah. Got more fears. Yes, everybody. Now, hey, this is exciting, Ian. Next week, we're going to be doing the first of our shows previewing the World Cup. Certainly are. The research we, has begun. Are we going already. to do one show on each group? Or that'd be we're two? doing three shows. Three shows. Three shows. With how many groups does that make? Uh, three. Each three show? groups on one. Three groups on another. And two groups on the last one, which will include England. Oh. We'll probably have a lot to talk about. Do you think? Okay, yeah. right. Well, I'll be looking forward to that. And of course, hey, during the World Cup, the whole Totally Football family will be in full effect cool, yeah. to bring you all the best coverage every night, apart from the ones where there's no football. <laughs> We've but got, there are not many of those. The drinks globe is stocked. The fridge is full. We've got a telly the size of the Ark Royal nailed to the wall. Yeah. We're in good neck. Bingo. Hope you'll be joining us for that, eh, listeners? If you'd like a little bit of football in your ears betwixt now and then, you could download Daniel Story's very excellent Gaza in Italy. All 130 pages of it read to you by me. <laughs> <laughs> not available as a book. You have to listen to me reading it. Extraordinary. Anyway, that's on Audible or iTunes. How much is it in? £4.99, which is less than you pay for a pint in London. Depends a pint of what, I'm going to say. White pint wine, of wine for, for example. Yeah. La... Yeah. Anyway, You're going to get a pint of wine for four fifty eight. used to be able to get a Blossom Hill, bottle of Blossom Hill for a fiver in a pub in Brixton. Yeah, but Bingo. that's not wine. Yeah, it was back in the old days, though. Oh, yeah. Also, uh, Fulham are in the mm. Premier League. Bingo. 1-0 over Aston Villa at Wembley. 
a stadium that their owner wants to buy, etc., and so on. Was it a good game, Ian McIntosh? Yeah, it was. I think Fulham surprised a lot of people. They're um, they're generally regarded as a sort of very nice club because everyone has nice memories of walking through the park and going Ooh, to Craig. I don't know if Jack Grealish would. I don't them. think he will. No, he's probably counting the bruises now because Fulham shocked everyone by basically playing keepy up with him. Um, he was just getting kicked all over the place um, and trodden on and trodden on and, and uh, yeah he wasn't having much fun so Fulham yeah a bit of an edge to their game which they needed as well I didn't expect them to get past Villa right. what struck me about that was you looked at Villa's team with Terry being the icon of this is that that's a very experienced team with guys who've got up on numerous occasions before often under the same manager and Fulham were the ones that looked composed uh, looked settled on that stage yeah and that was you know considering some of the young guys they've got in that team who combined for the goal Sessegnon and Kearney yeah. um, again was was pretty striking yeah and you look at and, and we've been saying this on the Totally Football League show all season Ryan Sessegnon there's a tendency with very very young footballers to kind of focus on how quick they are or you know things like that but it's his judgment and his awareness well, and as to as- as evidenced by the through ball for Kearney. It was absolutely outstanding for a kid of that age. He's been doing that all season long. Uh, he's so ready for the Premier League, as are a number of them. I mean, Kearney is one of my favourite players in that team, but Kevin McDonald and Stefan Johansson, they're a really classy side. Well, hand symbol says, is Tom Kearney the silkiest central midfielder the Championship has ever seen, Michael? Not sure about that. I mean, he's certainly not a young player, as James uh, mentioned, because he's 27. Mm. I should, I should still point young. Out. I mean, th- I'm 34. That's young to me. <laughs> he's up there with Lucas Vazquez for the being yeah. called a young player. <laughs> Vazquez is like 26. Yeah. Uh, but he's an excellent player. The thing I liked about the goal was it happened that way so neatly because the two players combining were left-footed. So the left-footed mm. ball kind of <laughs> faded into the player and then he could come on and kind of sweep it round into the far corner. If either of them were right-footed, I think the pass would have been the wrong angle or he would have had to wait for it to come across his body. But it was just a beautiful goal. And um, yeah, um, I like the interview with uh, Kearney at the end of the game where you kind of appreciated the kind of physical stresses of being a footballer. He was saying that, you know, he'd been injured throughout the season. His manager wanted him to play through the season and he was like looking forward to getting a bit of a rest before taking on the Premier League. Right. Uh, Johnny Mack says that Fulham midfield wouldn't look too out of place in the big league. Woof. Do you agree, Ian? You yeah, see yeah. a lot of oh, Fulham. Yeah, completely. As I say, Kearney, McDonald and Johansson, and that's a midfield better than half the Premier League. Um, really? I better mean, than half the Premier well, League? Wolves, who won the title, will. I mean, that team would have finished mid-table in the mm. Premier League at the very least. And they've got Ruben Neves, who is, is if anything, better than Kearney. Um, Couldn't get into the Portugal squad, though, Ian. Incredible. He's had a wonderful season. Um, and, uh, I mean, yeah, I think Fulham will be fine. I actually think all three of them will be fine. Cardiff are not as enterprising or as entertaining as, as Fulham or Wolves. They're big, they're hard, they're intimidating, they're scary, they're well-organised, and, and that'll be enough to keep them up. It would have been enough to keep them up in this year's Premier League, certainly. Um, this fellow, Khan, who wants to buy Wembley, presumably he can afford a player or two. <laughs> yeah, he's, to keep he, he has a wealth that is measured in billions. I would hope that they would keep hold of Sessegnon because he's still he's only just turned eighteen, and he's obviously he's happy there. He's being used well there. He started as a left back. He's been moved forward as a kind of left sided inside forward now with Matt Target as left back. So you'd hope there'll be a new contract there for him. Um, he seems like he's got his head screwed on right. He's down to earth kid. Right. Um, and do, yeah, do you I anticipate just, investment? I suspect they'll find a find a bit of room for some players. They um, they had uh, uh, the man they call AK forty seven um, out on the right flank um, ah, because yeah. he's number forty seven and his initials are A and K. But he's also as wildly inaccurate as an AK forty seven. <laughs> so uh, I, I think he could there could be an upgrade there. Um, but no, I think I think they'll do fine. Wow, OK. And and what about uh, Slavizia Djokanovic? Will he actually stick around this time? Well, last time, of course, he got Watford up. Um, and by all accounts, his idea of what he should be earning was a bit different from what Watford wanted to pay him. Okay. So they uh, they parted ways. I suspect Fulham will, will you know, match whatever he's asking for. Right. Best story of the season they brought us as well, the, the, the sumo. Oh, yeah. Just yeah, remind this was, us of that. I mean, this is very much a turning point of, of Fulham because for... Up until about, I think, October, November time, uh, the transfer policy was dictated by the friend of the owner's son, um, and he kept signing people that Jukanovic didn't want. And there were lots of rumours that they weren't getting on, and I don't think they were getting on. So uh, Craig Klein, for it is he, his solution 
um, that he brought up was that he would wear a sumo outfit underneath his suit. So he would burst in, I think, to the burst press conference into a press in a sumo suit. Yeah. And then when everyone looks startled, Djokovic would stand up angrily, but then rip his own suit off to reveal a also, sumo costume underneath. And so then they have would to have big suits. Yeah, I know. Yes. It would be like, <laughs> stop making sense. It's like the weirdest first 10 minutes of a press conference, because everyone would be sitting there going, what the hell is that underneath your suit? But, but yeah, he wanted them to have a basically a play fight in front of the journalists. And Fulham instead fired him. Yes, which <laughs> I think, in retrospect, was probably the sensible solution. Right, because then they brought in uh, Mitrovic. And... Mitrovic um, has changed... They, they have so much pace and flair, but they never had a focal point. They never had a sort of pivot up front to tie it all together. As soon as Mitrovic came in, I don't think they lost a game until the penultimate game of the season. They went about four months unbeaten. Right. Mitrovic plays like he has got a sumo suit on as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like he had a World Cup to get, uh, get in form for as well, which won't be there at the end of the summer. But I think him and Jokanovic are a very good mix. I think yeah. he's found the right manager for him. So, yeah, I think they'll be looking to make that deal permanent, definitely, won't they? Definitely. So. Delighted to see them back anyway. You know, apart from the, the the lovely location of the uh, <laughs> of Craven Cottage, they've also always just brought such great stories. You had the, the Michael Jackson statue, the sumo business, and plus, of course, the Felix Maggot cheese. Oh, yes. Cheese. My yes. favourite Fulham thing, which people always forget, is uh, they went through a period of their subs would get on exercise bikes by the side of the pitch and warm up that way. Uh, a quick word about Aston Villa. Yeah, I feel very, very sorry for Steve Bruce. He's had a horrible year, lost both his parents in quick succession. Um, he's also, he, he gets accused sometimes of, you know, having this massive budget for this Villa team. <laughs> but actually, the vast majority of the money was spent before he got there. He had a very strange dressing room with uh, a lot of bad apples in. Um, I think he's only spent a couple of million this year. A lot of it's been loan players. Um, and they were just never quite consistent enough. They had a terrible start to the season. They had another terrible middle patch, um, and they've just fallen at the final hurdle. But he's he's got them. They look like a team. The, the atmosphere, the togetherness. He's transformed Jack Grealish. Um, I really hope he gets a, another crack at that for next year. Is it true that John Terry had a clause in his contract that if they went up, they would that he wouldn't th- be expected to play against Chelsea? I think this has all been blown way out of proportion. John Terry, I believe, had said... Um, that he didn't want to play for another Premier League team because he didn't want to play against Chelsea. But he'd said that back before he oh, moved to Aston Villa. Right. And Steve Bruce was asked um, whether that would be a problem. And Steve Bruce being Steve Bruce, just having a bit of a light-hearted moment, um, I think flippantly said, well, we just won't pick him for the games then. And all of a sudden it was kind of, John Terry demands not to play against Chelsea. I'm not sure that demand has been made. Two more teams are moving on up. One of them we just plain don't know yet, do we, Ian? No, Coventry, Exeter in a matter of hours. Though the listener will already know the result. Possibly. Yeah. Depends how speedy good old producer Ben is. Uh, but we do know who's gone up between Shrewsbury and Shrewsbury and Rotherham. <laughs> <laughs> it was Rotherham. It was Rotherham all uh, along, listen. Rotherham. <laughs> the Millers. Poor old Shrewsbury. Right. Um, no, brilliant. Why for, poor old Shrewsbury? Poor old Shrewsbury because they're relegation favourites at the start of the season. Mm. Um, they have been in the top two for the majority of the season. Um, up against Wigan and Blackburn, who'd just come down and had some very, very decent players. Shrewsbury were pretty much essentially a team of unknowns led by the man who got Grimsby back into the fourth division. And they've had a magnificent season, mm. but they've ended it. They, they lost the Checker Trade Trophy to Lincoln, and now they've lost the playoff final. So, and, and now there's so many people will have seen the players that they've got and the manager that they've got, more importantly. I think they're going to get picked apart in the summer. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but Rotherham, yeah. hideous relegation last season. They were basically relegated sometime around October. Um, and the fitness coach, Paul Warren, was thrust in, into the hot seat and he didn't really want to be there. It was the owner who kept telling him, you're, you know, you're good enough, you're good enough. Uh, they got miserably relegated with hardly any points and he's had to turn that entire club around in the summer, this man with zero experience in the hot seat. Um, and uh, and he's gotten back up at the first time of asking. He's uh, generally known as uh, Warniola because he looks a bit like Pep Guardiola. Oh, nice. Um, though the Rotherham fans consider him the better of the two managers. I'm sure they do. Um, and the goal scored by Richard Wood, who's the kind of clunking third division dreadnought of a centre-back that is, is actually known as the, the wrecking ball. Mm. Um, and it was he who popped up in uh, well with the first goal and in, with the winner in extra time. So it's a tremendous achievement for Rotherham. And also, it means all three clubs relegated from the Championship went straight back up. 
remarkable. Mm. Hey, I bet there's going to be more on this in a series of Totally Football Show specials. Oh, How many yeah. are you doing this time? <laughs> it's just the one. The, the last show of the season we record tomorrow. So we've got Matt Stanger in and Sam Parkin, who's brilliant as well. So, so we'll, there'll be we'll more on back. Fulham in there. More on Fulham, more on Rotherham and more on Coventry and Exeter. Right. Excellent. OK. Well, I tell you what, just to wrap this Totally Football Show up, let's get a few more questions. Michael Davis asks, if the panel could attend one, only one of this year's World Cup group games... Which would they choose and why? To ponder on that, and I'm going to ask you another question straight away, give you a second to think about that, Pure Football says, the City B playoffs, who's primed to go up, hoping for Bari to go all the way? You may have some weight, <laughs> eh, James? Well, yeah, they were supposed to take place this weekend, the playoffs, but uh, it turns out there were some financial irregularities with Bari, which meant they were docked two points which meant they fell to seventh place. So their seeding in the playoffs changed. So they went from hosting Cittadella to having to go and play Cittadella. But I, I would say the other one is the one to watch, which is between Alessandro Nesta's Perugia against Pippo Inzaghi's Venezia. Right. Which... Pippo Inzaghi is now tipped for the Bologna job quite heavily. Is that right? He is, the... which might destabilise mm. uh, poor Venezia. There is a uh, a Brit involved in these playoffs, mm. in Liam Henderson of, uh, of Bari. There's three World Cup winning players who are now managers because Fabio Grosso is the manager of Bari so yeah some quite exciting stuff going on there ooh, ooh, but when are they actually going to happen uh, next weekend bingo uh, Jimbo June 3rd alright Thomas asks which players do you think will improve under Dick Emery sorry under Umay Emery at Arsenal and which ones will struggle with his style and expectations oh you are awful <laughs> <laughs> well, I like you you know who might improve? I think Mustafi might improve because I think he's been good elsewhere and I mm. think he's suffered badly from a lack of structure and understanding and uh, he's a kind of player that I think Emery will just get into him and, and improve his positional sense. He has got talent. He's just made consistently bad decisions and, and I think that can be improved. Um, it's interesting. I know it's been pointed out that having gone from Arsenal and Arsenal, they've now gone to Emery at the Emirates. Mm. Casa de Mul 84. How did Ramanelli and Kanija end up at Dundee? <laughs> God, that's niche. Yeah, that's yeah. niche. I don't know. There's a story behind that one. We'll do some digging, Casademol84. All right, so if you can remember, the first question was this year's World Cup group games. Which one would you choose? Is there one? Russia, Saudi Arabia, of course. <laughs> Saudi Arabia playing Italy tonight. Ow. Because, as Billy Costacur said, Italy need a win. <laughs> First came in charge for Roberto Mancini and Balotelli in the squad. Yeah. Mm. Um, some doubt as to whether he might play tonight because the big game is, is France, which is coming up in Nice, which is where he's been playing and doing mm. so ever so well. Saudi Arabia got to the World Cup under the aegis of Bert van Marwijk, mm. um, who left shortly afterwards, was replaced by Barzaglia, the uh, Argentine coach. Um, who then went uh, himself after about four or five games. Now they've got Pitsy, um, and he's only just taken over. So they're, they're not as stable as they might be. They've just had a draw with Egypt mm. recently. They beat Greece 2-0 as well. Did they? Yeah, I tell you, the research has been kicking off in What's the their nickname, the Saudi Arabians? It's the Green Falcons, wow. James. Al-Sukur, apparently. I, I might have mispronounced that, but it's the Falcons. You yeah. can call me Al-Sukur. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Nice. Excellent. All right. Well, let's, for the final time this season, hear producer Ben chatting now with Paddy Power. Thank you very much, Jimbo. This is Lee Price from Paddy Power on the line. Lee, how are you this bank holiday? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm even better than you because I'm in a studio whilst it's very hot outside. Uh, Lee, let's talk about the odds. Real... They, uh, they won the Champions League. It was very painful to watch for all Liverpool fans. Um, what are the odds on them making it four Champions League trophies in a row next season? Yeah, it was pretty painful for all fans to watch, I think. Um, they'll be a leading contender this coming season for obvious reasons, but mad as it sounds, their squad probably needs major surgery. So currently we go 6-1 to one that they'll win a fourth in a row. But that price will fall if they suddenly sign a Neymar or Mbappe or someone else ludicrously expensive. Well, never mind who's coming in. What about who's going out? Bale and uh, Cristiano, are they, uh, are they going to be at Real next season or are they, are they off? We'll make it more likely that they both leave than Real Madrid win a fourth Champions League crown in a row. Uh, front of the queue for both players, obviously, is Manchester United because that's exactly what their top-heavy squad needs. Bale, though, after his statement post-game, is now odds-on to leave the club at 5-6. to six. All right, what about uh, Liverpool then? Uh, Loris Carrius. Are you taking odds on him being in goal for Liverpool's first game next season? 
We are, just for you, Ben. Um, the poor lad looked traumatised at the end of the match, and it's probably the end of his Liverpool career if they can find a club to sell him to. We go 2-1 to one that he starts the first match of next season. Uh, Liverpool now odds on to sign Jack Butland, who will probably become the club number one. And what about Mo Salah? Uh, his shoulder looks in all sorts of trouble, but is he going to start Egypt's first game? Can he still be top scorer at the World Cup? Uh, yes and no. Uh, he's obviously head and shoulders above anyone else in that Egypt squad. So we think he's still odds on to start their first match at 5-6. to six. But his top scorer chances this summer have been bruised. He's now 50-1 to one to get the golden boot. Wowzers. OK, and what about coming up from the Championship to the Premier League? Congratulations to Fulham. Will you, uh, will you give me some, some odds on them finishing above Wolves next season in the Premier League? Interesting. It's very hard to tell this pre-summer because, you know, Wolves are made of cash and probably sign a whole new squad. But spending hasn't always beat the shrewd, so currently the football traders tell me we'd offer around 2-1 to one on this one, but I think it's a, a brave choice, Ben. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. It is 18 plus only, begambleaware.org, and when the fun stops, stop. Totally Football Show takes a short break at this point, listeners. Uh, we'll be back at the end of next week with those aforementioned shows previewing the World Cup. And, of course, your totally football friends will be here every day that there's a game on in Russia with all the reaction and previews of what's coming up in the greatest football tournament on the planet. Uh, but that does mark the end of our regular season coverage. So many thanks to Michael, to James, to Ian but also to Rafa, to Jules, to Daniel Story, to Duncan Alexander, David Priest, Ian Irving, Kelly Cates, Tom Williams, Sasha Gurionov, Adam Hurry, Jack Lang, Dr Tom, Lero Senior, Matt Scott, Matt Davis, Benji Lanyaro, Caroline Barker, Filippo Mariarici, Alvaro Romeo and everybody else you've heard over the past nine months and, of course, all our sponsors and, above all, the one person who, for me, made this show more than anybody and that was you, listener. Yes, you. Until next week, it's goodbye. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Before you go, we want to tell you about what's coming down the Totally Football pipe before things kick off in Russia. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll be looking ahead to the other international tournament taking place this summer, the Kanifa World Football Cup. And it's happening right here in England. The Kanifa what, you say? Well, it'll see states and peoples like Cascadia, Tibet and Matabeliland and other non-FIFA affiliates that I can't pronounce going head-to-head over 11 days in London. There are a few rule changes and loads of amazing stories about the players taking part, like this. Uh, they only have one football pitch in the whole area and it's made of rubble and stone and cows frequently pass the pitch, literally directly through the pitch. In terms of, like, you look at teams having a difficult run into a tournament, theirs is, is pretty much the hardest I've ever heard of, it, which actually included a 20-hour bus journey to one of their games on just a, a public bus. So I think when you look at, yeah, how hard it can be to get to a World Cup for a, a FIFA team, th- this is sort of next level. We looked into anti-diving shin pads, however they work. They flash up when there's contact on them. Check back on the Totally Football Show wherever you get your podcasts.